continues to be, right? Keep me real with Alexander Garrett uh, once again. Uh, I wrote a meme article this weekend about how we have to do more than thoughts and prayers. We have to add the words for change. Thoughts and prayers for change. Uh, but of course, the left doesn't even want to do thoughts and prayers anymore. It's 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 all crazy and confusing because, Ed Delgado, you're you're a podcaster as well. You're on the Caramel Conservative. Welcome, by the way, to the first time on Keeping It Real with Alexander Garrett. Yes, sir. Thank you very much for having me, Alex. I really appreciate that, my friend. But the confusion truly is the mixed messages we're getting from everybody. But let me play you this soundbite. If you didn't hear it today, I thought this was the strongest uh, statement by our president, no less, of the whole uh, tragedy. In one voice, our nation must condemn racism, bigotry, and white supremacy. These sinister ideologies must be defeated. Hate has no place in America. Hatred warps the mind, ravages the heart, and devours the soul. Now, Ed, I didn't hear anybody else talk like that over the weekend. Did you? No. Everything that came across, especially from, you know, your alphabet soup conglomerates, was just pointing the finger that Trump has to take blame, that it's his vitriol and his rhetoric. It was not, you know, let's unify together. Nobody said anything remotely close to that. And, you know, uh, it's interesting because they all said he was hatred, but he came out as the most unhateful person of all of them. I thought that was kind of ironic, but it's presidential at the same time. Well, and it's kind of funny when you think about it, because President Trump often gets accused of sounding unpresidential. And I can't help but appreciate the irony in this, in that how is anything he doing unpresidential? He's the president. Therefore, anything he does, whether he talks raw and kind of in your face and drops a four-letter word, or he gives a speech like he did today, this is presidential. And what he did today, I think, was he showed a level of humbleness and and sadness that was appropriate for the occasion. And, you know, he, and I think he, it really should have shut the critics down that said over the weekend that he was nowhere to be seen. Well, nobody knows, you know, what, it's kind of like when you see a duck swimming. The duck is real calm on the surface, but you don't see them legs paddling underneath the water, keeping them afloat. Right. And, you know, Obama, just to, to, to compare, not to compare, but to say... Where was he? He actually did speeches about the same time, two or three days after an attack happened. But I always thought his speeches weren't as strong as Trump was today. Now, you know, there was another thing trending on social media. Caramel conservatives is where you're at. We'll get to that in a second. But one other thing on this, there was another thing trending where, you know, someone says in the crowd, why don't we shoot them in El Paso? And he, you know, he shook his head and he said, you know, he kind of condemned it then, even though people said he didn't. He didn't really like the comment that was said at that rally. I don't know if you remember that moment at all. I don't remember the moment itself, but I can't, you know, who was it? Julian Castro that said it was the, the shooter was the only person to blame. And for Democrats in particular, they get these moments of lucidity where they say something. And I think for us on the right, oftentimes we get caught off guard when somebody says something off the wall, like, you know, somebody shoot them. And we just kind of cringe. And I'm a little familiar with, the, with what you're talking about. I didn't get to hear the clip. I got to see part of the video. And you look at, at the president's face. Obviously, he wasn't thrilled about hearing that. He wasn't at all. So, right. 
so I mean, I think we we in a we fall into this reactionary category instead of just calling it out right there on the spot. And I think that was one of the very few times that the president didn't call someone out on the spot like he normally does. And so with that, uh, what is the Caramel Conservatives' perspective on this? Talk about that podcast as well, but what are you guys talking about on the Caramel Conservative today following a tragic weekend? Well, um, what we do is, you know, just the overall show is just kind of a perspective from, uh, and I'm a recovering liberal, you know, uh, back in my youth. What's that saying? That if you're not a liberal when you're young, you have no heart. If you're not a conservative, as you get older, you have no brain. Um, I like to think I've kind of grown a little bit over the years, but I'm just an average guy. There's really nothing special about me. I'm a military brat. I'm a, I'm a veteran. Um, you know, I, I did my service like hundreds of thousands of other people, but I'm, I'm a normal, average, everyday person. I just happen to be a little over-opinionated. So put myself onto a podcast, and here we go. Um, and it comes from a right-of-center perspective from a Hispanic America's point of view. Um, because oftentimes I think we get so lumped into this idea that if you're brown or you're black, that you have to have this monolithic line of thinking, which falls in line with, you know, being liberal. And if you don't toe the line, then all of a sudden you're a sellout. You're an Uncle Tom. Well, you know, a lot of us, we don't need people to speak for us. We can do it for ourselves. And probably one of the biggest messages I want to drive home to a lot of folks is that you are not alone. There are others out here. You know, whether it's yourself, whether it's me and, you know, however you come about to learning, you know, sure. that's the way to do it. You know, and I think there's so many takeaways that could have happened from this particular weekend. Uh, you know, the president talked about it. The left even talked about it indirectly, although they were, I think, well, not indirectly. I think they were misguided in what they were talking about, because oftentimes, and I say this a lot, the left is about projection. They're projecting that the president is speaking about hate and he's dividing people. Well, that's a lot of their 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 uh, their stick right there where the president talked about wanting to defeat hate and unifying people. He's actually going out here and showing us the way, whereas all the left are doing is using this for cheap uh, points to to get the nomination. And, you know, you had a great observation in our conversation off air. That they were wasting no time. Nowadays, they don't waste any time uh, pointing a finger instead of just letting the moment happen. Yes, offering thoughts and prayers. Um, but firstly, doing something that I didn't see many people do. You know, uh, a tweet started trending about the El Paso PD, El Paso PD saying, hey, if you're around, give some blood to these victims. Nobody really mm-hmm. circulated that, but they should have because that's how change happens. The first thing is, how do we get down there and support? And if we can't physically be there, maybe there is an outlet on Twitter. But I didn't see you know, the, the candidates for 2020 sharing that. I mean, I, I didn't see anybody on the liberal side sharing that, and that was kind of disheartening to me. Well, and like I said, I think what they were doing is they were going for the cheap political points, you know, because it's very easy to want to blame somebody. And for somebody whose whole career is blaming the right, well, this was kind of easy pickings, low-hanging fruit for them. And it, all it really was is tantamount to a bunch of sound bites for them that they may or may not be able to use in a future commercial. But it didn't serve the general welfare. It didn't serve the general good. You know, they would have been wise to just speak on, you know, the tragedy, say how terrible it was, because it, it's almost like it's uh, obligatory for any major politi- uh, political figure to do that. Sure. But 
I think if you don't do that, you're kind of you, you, you're missing the boat there. But at the same time, they could have used their platform to galvanize people together and say, you know what, we can wait till Monday or Tuesday before we start slinging arrows and rocks at each other. Until then, let's make sure that we help these people that have lost loved ones, that have been injured, that were in the vicinity, all of these traumatized people. Yeah, we no didn't one, want to do that. No one talked Why about do that. that. Right. Why do that when you can score cheap political points on, and, and I don't want to sound so negative about this, but there are so many people that buy into just the bites. Yep. And then that's even just as tragic. Well, look at who, look who, look at what happened. They set up TV cameras in front of Beto O'Rourke, who, you know what, as much as what he said to his credit, he did fly back to El Paso. El Paso. Uh, I would like our mayor, when a blackout happens or something, to fly back to New York, but I don't think I'll ever see that. So I'm a bit envious I have someone down in uh, Texas, though he might disagree. At least he was on the ground. Uh, so I'll give him that little right. credit. But look how quickly they got cameras to his face. I mean, they didn't waste any time getting to Beto O'Rourke. Well, Beto is there, you know, is a little celebrity, you know, he's, he's the, uh, you know, what's that mean that has circulated around? He's Obama vanilla version, uh, you know, and he he's very charismatic when he speaks from time to time. So, you know, he, he has the, and he's got the, the background as far as, you know, going up against Ted Cruz, even though he lost, but it was enough to give him some credibility. So all he has to do is make a phone call and boom, cameras are there. And I, I hate to make it, you know, when I say, you know, Obama, you know, vanilla, because it almost sounds like I'm playing into the identity politics. But this is the guy who bills himself as Beto in order to try to appeal to Hispanic voters. Right. True. So, you know, this identity politics thing that, you know, the left has done all too often, it does swing both ways. And, and that, my frustration with it because when when those of us on the right we we're not we're not willing to swing it back at them. Never. And it's, it's always things. Uh, it, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, it it is always like we're just it, conservative. I don't consider myself a conservative or a Democrat. I'm just common sense. But typically these days, right. common sense is conservative. I that's just the reality. But. The conservative party, the the GOP, stays in their corner and doesn't hit back, which is why they were so afraid of Trump to begin with, because he hits back and he hasn't inspired any of his, maybe Lindsey Graham for sure, but he hasn't inspired many others in Washington to hit back. And they have the the R next to him, you know? Well, and that's always been the problem, you know, and to a certain degree, I completely understand it. Because, you know, hey, we want to we want to be above the fray. We want to show that we're better than that. Hey, you know what? I get that. But if you're being better than that, being above the fray, not willing to go into the mud has not yielded you the desired results in over 50, 60 years, then clearly you're doing something wrong. So. When an individual like Beto O'Rourke, you know, like I say, he snaps his fingers and he can get the cameras down there and he can go ahead and say the, the things that he says and the media eats it up and he does it with impunity, clearly he's doing something right. You know, now if those of us on the right could actually take a, take a note out of that page, you know, of that book. Right. Well, maybe we might actually be able to make some strides there, too. Talking with Eldo Ed Delgado, the uh, Caramel Conservative. He has a podcast called That, which I guess you can pick up on Apple, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, 
uh, pretty much anywhere, right, Ed? Yes, sir. Uh, it's pretty nice to see what your message can do when it when it's just not even the person behind it, but the message gets out to these outlets. It's kind of rewarding because uh, I'm on all these outlets as well, and it's like wow, the message is being sent. And the reason why we can't stay quiet is because the left will overpower us with voice and with action, and so the few that do speak out, I think, are doing a good duty. Well, I think it's imperative that shows, you know, like yours and mine and, and a lot of the other ones. Like you said, it's a duty. But I also believe at the same time that the left have really, they've mastered bastardizing the English language. They've managed to take words like ally and, uh, you know, What's the other word? They they make up words as well too. I mean, up until a couple of years ago, I had no idea what a cisgender was. I was like, wow. So this is a new one. But without things like these, you know, conservative podcasts, without having you know the blogosphere out there, we end up losing the battle on the language front alone. You know, we don't have anything to counter back to unless individuals take up, you know, a simple mic, get yourself out there. And like I said, I'm just, I'm another guy, you know, I got a nine to five. I do what I got to do out here. I take care of my family, pay my taxes, take my trash out. Now you're at, you're you're saying out here, he's actually from Wisconsin. I believe he's at Oshkosh, Wisconsin. Is that right? Uh, Just west of Oshkosh, about a half hour there. And so in the middle of nowhere, good times. I'm lucky you got service today, to be honest with you. But uh, (laughs) did did Milwaukee turn too liberal for you? I know you also serve, and thank you for your service to this country. But when you came back and you saw Milwaukee start to change, that must have really turned you off because you were there for a while, were you not? Uh, On and off over the years. And I think for me, uh, for me and my family, we – we saw a lot of things changing, especially from, I want to say, 2009 forward. Crime started getting more rampant. The public school systems were just abysmal. Um, you know, the liberal politicians, I mean, there was, there's a large conservative conglomerate there in Milwaukee. But the problem is, it's drowned out by the even larger liberal presence there. So at that particular point, as much as I love the city of Milwaukee and what it once was, I had to come to grips with the fact that that's not what it is anymore. So we kind of had to make a calculated decision on what was going to be best for the family, where do we want the children to come up on and the values that they want to, that we want them to have. Sure. So leaving the inner city was probably one of the smarter things to do. Now, granted, you know, there's certain experiences in inner city that you don't get out in rural areas, but that also works the other way as well. And I think what it is, too, is that when we go to smaller communities, there's more of a sense of just that very word community. And that's kind of environment that I personally want to be in, that I want my children to be a part of where people know each other, you know, you want privacy, close the door and there you go. And you don't have politicians saying, Hey, open the door. And you don't have politicians say, Hey, open the door for these strangers that you don't even know. I mean, that's what's going on in our city right now in our cities, I should say across the country. Well, and I think that kind of, that, that's another thing that actually scares the hell out of me when you think about it, because uh, you take a look at places like San Francisco, Oakland, Milwaukee, um, 
probably even New York. I saw this in Chicago by Midway International Airport. There are people living under highway overpasses. I saw one, there was one time I went down there last year, and I swear to God, this individual looked like they had an apartment. I mean, literally curtains, sectioned off rooms and everything under an overpass. And I know that can't lead to any type of sanitary conditions. It's not conducive to a business environment. And it's darn sure not safe for any kids or anyone else to be walking around in there. You know, and until people in major cities actually do something to take, you know, take hold of this and actually solve this issue, because there's always going to be a homeless issue, but you don't want to encourage it and have tent cities popping up. And then you wonder why you have health condition issues there. Right. And and then when you take away the quality of life crimes and that even that makes it even worse in these cities. So I applaud you for moving out. Do you like you, you sound like you love it in the country. But I got to ask you, are you still a Brewer fan? Has that Brewer Packer, uh, even in the country, are you still a sports fan? Have you lost touch with sports or not? See, I'm not a big sports fan in general, um, and especially when it comes to football, because, you know, Colin Kaepernick kind of killed it for me. You know, 22 millionaires running out there and then crying about something just kind of ruined it for me. But got to keep in mind, I live in Wisconsin. And in Wisconsin, Green Bay Packers football, that's that's not just a sport. It's pretty close to being a, being a religion up here. So, yeah, we do keep an eye on the Packers and stuff. Brewers, whenever they're hot, you know, everybody and their brother watches it. And it's, you know, the only thing I think that's not really too uh, too big up here is uh, the Bucks. But that's and that's funny because they were they there. were number one in the whole you know in the whole uh, Eastern Division last year. So that's kind of funny that they're the least paid attention to while they're making moves. And of course, the Packers now have a new coach. I think because McCarthy was fired after that whole disaster. Mm-hmm. So it, you know, I've always liked Milwaukee. I like Yelich. I mean, I went to see him at City Field, hit him a hit a homer outside of City out of his City Field as usual. So. Uh, and I've been to Milwaukee in 2005. That was a fun experience. Uh, went to Humboldt oh, Park, and uh, and yeah. other yeah, and we did a, a science project up there actually, which was pretty fun. So to hear that it's become less um, touristy is kind of sad to me. Well, and the the interesting part is there are some areas that have been they've been essentially been regentrified. They push a lot of folks out. They've redone it. You mentioned Humble Park. Um, if you go about three miles closer to Lake Michigan, there was an area there that was pretty run down. They revitalized it. So there is some revitalization going on. However, there's the crime in the area. Like if you look at Milwaukee, you really have to separate into, into two segments. You have the north side, you have the south side. And those segments and the crime seem to be expanding outward which is causing a huge problem in the city alone. Uh, And unfortunately, it's affecting the suburbs. So between that, the drug problem, the homeless problems, I mean, all the stuff that they're doing to try to better the city, and I'll give credit where credit's due, it's not enough to offset the negativity that's happening in the city. So, but there are still wonderful parts of Milwaukee. Don't get me wrong. I mean, you know, you've got Miller Park down there. You've got uh, the east side is still interesting. Water Street. I mean, if you ever get back there, there's some restaurants I could take you to. I'm sure you'll dig them. And uh, I remember being on the water in Milwaukee, which was also pretty fun out there on, on a 
um, a regular bow. It was it was a nice time. But I got to ask you. So you mentioned all these these problems that still linger in Milwaukee and other cities, uh, drug problems and overdosing. I mean, when you talk about that, I think about how politicians have their you know, hands in in these big pharma pockets, and Democrats are not alone in that. You know, our de- Republicans aren't yeah. alone. That Democrats are definitely in the pockets of big pharma, and I'm sure that's kind of why Milwaukee and other cities have deteriorated as well. Well, I think yeah, it definitely plays a role. I mean, we have one of the uh, the larger ones up here. We got Johnson Control, which is headquartered in Milwaukee. And there's another big one, and I can't remember the name of it offhand, that's just about 90 miles south of us uh, down in the Gurney area, Gurney, uh, Waukegan area, North Chicago. Um, And that's another big pharmaceutical uh, company that's down there. So, I mean, that that may certainly play play a role in it, especially when it comes to prescription opioids and things like that. Um, But thankfully, I mean, we've got uh, up here in Wisconsin, we got Senator Ron Johnson, who's actually taking, you know, spearheading a lot of these issues when it comes to opioid abuse. uh, He is a stalwart. I love love Ron Johnson. He's one of the next, he's one of the next big senators. I mean, we've seen them come and go, but he's really making his mark now. And uh, he held this thing with the CBP and I just thought he did a great job with Mark Morgan. I don't know if you covered that at all, but I thought his testimony in Washington was great, and I thought Johnson did a great job. Uh, so, so let's say uh, you got the week coming up. What else are you going to cover this week on the Caramel Conservative? Oh man, we got all kinds of stuff here, and I'm going to pull this up here because I got all kinds of entertaining things here. So basically, we run our show here about uh, 8 p.m. Central Standard Time uh, on Tuesday nights, and well, obviously, you know, the elephant in the room we're going to be talking about is going to be uh, the shooting. And I kind of did a little podcast last night, just a little 45-minute rant, and and it was just that. And it was a little all over the place, and I'll admit to that, just simply because when you're trying to process this kind of thing, it there's a lot of different angles you can come from. But I'm going to kind of surmise it a little bit more uh, tomorrow night. I want to also talk about uh, Laura Loomer. Yeah, that yeah, was, yeah, yeah. an interesting one, because uh, the most banned woman on social media, that's right. And she's running for Congress, if I'm not mistaken. She is indeed running for Congress. And I'm kind of, I kind of got mixed feelings about her. And I want to talk about that. Um, and then, of course, you got the uh, non-binary people. Um, they, apparently, they're having an issue with trying to date people that don't want to accept the fact that they identify one way or another. So I'm going to talk a little bit about that. And I'm sure AOC will show her head up in here. So yeah, we got a lot of good stuff coming up, and that's probably just going to be the first hour alone. Now, do you have co-hosts, or how do you, how does your show work? Well, occasionally I do have co-hosts. Um, sometimes my wife Jen she'll she'll come on to the show there. Uh, we got a live call-in number, which I believe I have working at this particular point. It's taking me forever to get to it, but I think I got that set up. So, but there is a live chat room, so when they we um, when we do it on a speaker the uh, live chats in there. So we actually do have a group of people that always pop up in there. So anybody that wants to join in commentary, always welcome. So, and if you want to find um, Caramel conservative, he's Ed Delgado has been commenting on a lot of my podcasts as well. And I thank you for that little traction there because uh, you know, 
when you post it, you want to know who's watching, who's listening, and then I'm glad that you're tuning in, and I will definitely tune in more to your uh, show. And it's great that it's live, because I feel like that's the best way. Uh, I don't have the capability to do phoning calls, or I would. I, I want to hear what society's thinking today, because you get a whole bunch of people. You get left and right tuning in. Well, one of the things I love about doing the live show is that it catches all the errors, all the the impromptu things that happen, you know, and I want folks, you know, from the left, from the right, anybody who's got commentary, you know, because one of the things that, and I think I heard you make comment about this before, and I thought this was a great comment. And it's like, you know, we actually need to sit down and talk together, find out where our commonalities are. Now, the question I had in turn, of course, is, what are the things that we have in common? Huh. I think Good if point. we look at the national, on the national level, what the leftists out there, the, the Antifa, the Black Lives Matters, if you're going to try to look for commonality there, you're not going to find it. You're not going to find it with the AOC crowds or the, you know, Omars, Talibs, anyone like that. But for the average everyday person, this is where we're going to find the common ground. You know, and I think it's got to start there. It's got to start with the conversation between individuals of the same belief. So in a certain way, you do have to preach to the choir. Sure, sure. But it also has to get shared out to other folks, too, that maybe they don't want to chime in just yet, but eventually they will. Well, let me ask you this. know that they're welcome in there. Let me ask you this. How interesting is it when you see like a liberal hashtag and you have your viewpoint and you like interject your thoughts by using the hashtag most liberals are using in Twitter? I find that great because I find that's disrupting the conversation saying, hey, other people like conservatives are using your hashtag to make their point, too. Oh, man, I used to do that all the time. And it is it is. I'm not going to lie. I love trolling liberals. I really do, because you like seeing them get all worked up, and it's funny because they'll once they you know when they lose the argument when they start resorting to races, bigoted, privileged things like that, and it totally detracts from whatever it was they were talking about. And, and the irony is, you, I mean, and, and you're and you're actually Hispanic. If you you mentioned earlier, is that right? Right. right. So and then that's it cracks me up because. Ethnically, I'm, I'm half Mexican, half Puerto Rican, and I'm a full supporter of building a wall and, you know, reform immigration, all that good stuff. But I just can't help but sit and crack up when we're like, well, you're turning on your people. And I'm, I'm, my response has to be like, well, my people don't pay my bills. Well, and you know, I, I mean, I've had that same situation that they say, well, how can you be OK with Trump mocking as someone with disability? And I'm like. Yeah, I have one leg, but I also am smart enough to know that he might not have been doing that. You know, also, Trump's Trump. And the biggest thing is, Ed, maybe you agree with me on this, every community is protected by the president of the United States. So whether you dislike him or not, your community will be protected if your president has your interests in mind. And he has everybody's interests in mind. Well, and that's if you take a look and let's do a comparison between President Obama and President Trump. You know, I was not a fan of President Obama. I knew when, uh, when, well, I was in North Carolina when Obama was elected. I knew a guy, his name was Ray, great guy. 
And he was elated when Obama was elected because he never thought he would see this day when a black man, half black man, even a quarter of a black man would have been elected to the presidency of the United States. And he has such high hopes. Now, I don't know whether he was disappointed or not in later years. I don't know because I ended up moving about a year later. But you look at a lot of the statements from President Obama. Sure. He often would say things like, well, that's not who we are. But he wouldn't necessarily tell you who we were. He would say his off-the-cuff off the remarks that, you know, oh, the police acted ignorantly. Or, you know, if I had a son, he might look like Trayvon. He would jump to conclusions rather than trying to say, like President Trump did recently, we need to work together, unify. The president talks to people when he, you know, when he, uh, what was it he did with the LGBT month? Right. You know, he acknowledged that. He's looking out for those folks. He's looking out for black unemployment, Hispanic unemployment, which is at record lows. He's looking for everybody's well-being because he's done well enough for himself. He doesn't need to worry about himself. He can actually go out there and do the right thing and do it free of any burden on himself. And as far as disabled community, they say, well, these cuts are going to hurt us. But I, I ultimately believe that whenever he tries to make cuts with Medicaid or with certain things, it's in it, my community. I have a lot of friends there that are on Medicaid, but they're going to be OK because what he's trying to do is sift out the abuse that's going on with the Medicaid. That's what I'm trying to get through to these people. Well, and there's so much abuse out there. Like I know an individual who um, he's gaming the system. I mean, he has his own business and everything. However, he still claims, you know, disability. And how is that necessarily fair against the individuals who truly have a disability, you know, like yourself? Or I have a daughter who's autistic. She's high-functioning autistic, and God willing, you know, she'll be an independent, functioning person uh, eventually. But she's still autistic. Right. You know, and I've often said, you know, as a society, a civil society has a fiduciary duty to take care of those that cannot take care of themselves. It doesn't mean handhold them, though. Right. It means help them along the way. But in order to do that, we have to get those people that are leeching off the system out of the system. Right. So that way we can provide better services to the people with Down, cerebral palsy, yourself, my daughter, whomever truly has those needs. And you know what? We're in a we're in a liberal state here, and Cuomo cuts more to the disabled community than he wants to admit, and that has to be brought up as well. When Governor right. Cuomo says, you know, oh, why is Trump doing this with the disabled? Well, why are you and the media, why aren't you focused on the actual cuts that Cuomo's doing to the disabled community in New York? Like, how come no one's talking about that if we're so outraged at the treatment of disabled by Trump, which is fake outrage? Well, and there's a lot of fake outrage out there because if the, if the media was actually honest about it, and being that you're in New York, I mean, yes, the headquarters of, of many, many large news conglomerates, why aren't more people talking about that? Because if they were, that would make national news, you know, just the cuts in New York alone. But rather than doing anything like that, it's just easier to show, you know, the applause of, you know, late-term abortions being passed or right. driver's license to illegals. 
You know, it's easier to show that than it is to actually show the, the shortcomings of your guy. Yeah, and and our guy wants to run for another four years, so please pray for us, Ed. Please pray for us. Now, I want to get to this other thing, if you have a moment, because your story is intriguing. You were a quote-unquote loony liberal uh, in your 20s, but would you say serving for your country changed that mindset? Surprisingly, no. It was was an interesting thing because I... um, so I joined the Marine Corps when I was uh, 19. I got out uh, when I was about 22, 22 and a half. I busted my knee up. So I ended up uh, getting out after that. And this was, I got out in 95. So, you know, nothing major going on or anything like that. As a matter of fact, I had probably had one of the slickest jobs in the, in the Corps. I was a uh, admin clerk stationed in Hawaii. So, you know, I, I can't, uh, I wasn't John Rambo by any means, and I had it pretty sweet. I can't complain about that. Now, that being said, I come back and I join the real world. Anytime you have to come from being in a military structured environment to living in the civilian world, there is a bit of adjustment because now all of a sudden you're responsible for your own, you know, housing, electricity, your bills, right. all that other stuff. Nobody is there, there's no safety net. So as things have kind of progressed, I'm starting to make a little bit more money. I'm getting promotion at work. And all of a sudden I'm realizing, my God, I'm not getting a tax refund this year. I'm actually paying one out. But that wasn't the breaking point. So right around the time of the Lewinsky scandal. Sure, sure. If you remember President Clinton, I did not have sexual relations with that woman. Look dead at the camera. Now, one of the things about Bill Clinton was that he was a phenomenal communicator. So when he talked to you, you almost felt like he was talking to you. Yep. He was a type of guy you wouldn't mind having a beer with, having, having a whiskey and Coke with. And when things started to really un, unravel, it's when I started questioning a lot of things. So at that point, I started picking up every book I could possibly read. Every book historically, every book on economics, every book, you know, just historically, anything I could read, you know, Plato, Socrates, the Fed papers, I mean, you name it. So I started reading this and I thought to myself, you know what, okay, I need to listen to somebody else in order to kind of see what their thought process was. So I started listening to Rush Limbaugh. Okay, yeah, and he rose to prominence at that time. Right. So the more I started listening, the more I started reading, the more I started trying to educate myself a little bit more outside of the collegiate system and everything else. The more I started putting things together, and I was like, you know what? This this idea of being dependent, waiting on somebody else to take care of me, no, that, that's, that's, there's no work ethic in there. There's no pride. You know, there's a saying that I love that something given has no value. If the government's going to give me anything, how am I going to value it? Right. Whereas if I work my tail off, if I if I try to provide the best that I can for my family with the God-given abilities that I have, well, you know what? I'm probably going to be more prone to take care of it. And it's just kind of over the years, it's kind of grown to the point where I know what I believe because now at this point in my life, it's been time-tested. 
And now I want to get that message out to other people and also hear what they have to say, because my ideas have to be worth challenge because of my, and I I think that's one of the big differences between a lot of people on the left versus the right. We want our ideas challenged because if our ideas aren't worth being challenged, they're not worth having. So challenge me. And if I'm wrong, then I'm going to learn from you. If I'm right, then you've reaffirmed what I know already. Whereas those on the left, when it's challenged, it's pick your pejorative. Right. You know, you're the race, you're the bigot, you're whatever. You know, so it kind of, and I still see this as an ongoing journey. Because if you're not learning every day, then you're doing something wrong. That's a good point. In life, at work, anything. Uh, Now, what do you do for work, if you don't mind me asking, uh, along with the podcast? Um. Well, work-wise, I actually try to keep that very separate from okay. the two just because, I mean, I'm, I work in sales, uh, so I'll say that much. But I do keep the two very, very separate from one another just because I know there's a lot of people that I have that they run both sides of the political spectrum. Uh, so, you know, during the workday, I try to keep that as separate as possible. But, um, yeah, so I keep myself in sales and Get to spend a lot of time on the road there going from point A to point B. Well, that's good. And and obviously when you have something creative like a podcast, it keeps your mind going with other things as well. And that, that, this is what keeps me going in life is it, to do something like this keeps me going on the day job too. And I think that's important. Yeah. Well, and I think it's funny too, because for me, I have, I have three children and, um, I think one of the reasons I wanted to do the podcast too was because I, we, we all need to find a reason for what it is that we do. And my two older children, they live in California. My youngest lives with me. And whenever I see them, whenever I talk to them, it doesn't matter how tired I am, how worn out I am, what's going on. But just looking at them makes me want to push a little bit harder go a little bit further and reach down for that inner strength that I didn't think I had at that moment and to leave a better world than what I have. And the world that I have isn't too bad, but if I can leave something better, if that is my legacy to my children to, to provide some type of message out there to, to instill in them the values that have made our country the greatest force for good that this planet has ever seen to give them that knowledge, whether it's through our normal daily interaction or through the form of a podcast, then I will have at least been proud of of just doing that alone. Well, Ed, you've got a lot to be proud of every day when you do every couple, every Tuesday when you do this podcast. And of course, check them out. The Caramel Conservative. Where are you on Twitter? Where are you on, on the social sphere? On Twitter, I am on, uh, what is it, at Mr. Ed1776. Uh, you can find me on Facebook and Instagram at The Caramel Conservative. And then, of course, uh, there's the website, thecaramelconservative.com. Very cool. And by the way, we met on Convo, and that's kind of how the Convo started, right? Yes. And, uh, yeah, I, and it was. Go, go for ahead. it. No, no, go for it. I, I love Convo, by the way, just to throw that in there. 
Well, and I'm really excited about it because right now the site is down, but they're actually working on doing a couple upgrades to get uh, get live chat going on. So I think that's going to be phenomenal. But yeah, when I saw your podcast on there and I had to get a chance to listen to a few episodes, and I'm like, okay, this is this is good. This is good. I got to listen to more of this here. And just kind of like say what over the past week or so, we kind of talked a little bit more and yeah. And that's one of the beauties I, I love about podcasting is the community that it creates too, because there's several other people that I know from Iowa, Texas, Massachusetts, Illinois. I, and I've made some very, very good friendships with these folks. Um, so I'm definitely, you know, looking forward to this and, and all our future endeavors. And hopefully, maybe, God willing, we can all be on the same stage doing a podcast. That would be an incredible experience. Maybe, if, if, if things work out. That would, you know, and then I'm definitely looking forward to trying to do something like that. It's just a matter of putting the ideas together. All right. Well, I'll be there to help you, and, and I will definitely have you back on keeping it with Alexander Garrett. Ed of the Caramel Conservative, thanks so much for joining us tonight. Thank you very much for having me, sir, and I'll definitely be in touch with you. Absolutely. I'm Alexander Garrett. Keep it real. Stay tuned for more. Hey, thanks so much, Ed. Thank you, brother. Thank you. Hopefully I can have you on my 